Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host, Jake Deaver, and with me today is nobody. Um, Jerwin had to call off at the last minute. Uh, so like Thanos, I said, fine, I'll do it myself. Um, so I am here alone today. Not a lot of debate on this show. Um, you're going to see plenty of agreement, I'm sure, on the topics that we have uh, just between the the host and the host. Uh, but I thought if Mark Madden can do a show alone, then so can I. And in the words of Dr. Evil, the best part of this plan is no one can stop me. So without further ado, let's get into the last week recap uh, for the matchups. I beat JC 275.4 to three 235.1 league villain nick beat eddie in a very pivotal matchup 243.1 to 141 this has to be one of the closest matchups we've ever had uh you can't really get much closer than this i mean you actually can't nate beat mike 223.9 to 223.8 in another very pivotal matchup that came down to the wire uh, Brendan beat Jordan 283.4 to 270. Jerwin beat Nick Lee. A lot of very important matchups this past week, but he beat Nick Lee 268.5 to 195.3. And finally, Sam beat Scott 235.6 to 225. The median was 235.35. And we had only two one-and-one teams. Nate won, but finished below the median, and Jordan lost, but finished above. Uh, one important note, I don't know what the stat correction was, but we did have a stat correction that gave Sam an extra win. And I believe the one who uh, was given an extra loss was JC. So uh, both of those teams went from being one-and-one uh, JC went to 0 and 2, while Sam went 2 and 0 on the week. Uh, standings updates in the East. I am still at the top at a 22 and 4 overall record. I went 2 and 0 this past week. Nate is now in second place, going 1 and 1. He's 15 and 11, and Mike is, holds on to the number three seed in the East with a 14 and 12 record, despite going 0 and 2. Over in the West, Scott is still at the top despite the 0-2 record last week. He is 17-9. Nick Lee holds on to the second spot for now at 13-13. He also went 0-2. Jerowin is in the midst of a little surge here. He is at 12-14. He went 2-0. I decided to finally add the wild card race. Uh, we are close enough to the trade deadline. This is probably a little overdue. But I added it, and here is where we are at. JC holds on to the first wildcard spot as of now. He is 14 and 12. He went 0 and 2 last week. League villain Nick has the second spot. He is at 12 and 14. He went 2 and 0. Uh, in the hunt, we still have three teams. Brendan is 11 and 15. He went 2 and 0 this last week. He is only one game back of League villain Nick. Uh, Sam went 2 and 0. He is at 10 and 16. He is two games back, and Eddie is also two games back with the same record. Uh, so takeaways um, to make up for me being the only one, I had a few. Some related to fantasy, some not. I guess none are really related to fantasy. Uh, so I watched some of the hot dog eating contests, um, not by choice. This was just the thought I was having. Uh, 
and the 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 amount that people are kind of fawning over Joey Chestnut is a little ridiculous. Um, calling him an athlete is ludicrous. Uh, the hot dog eating contest as a display as a whole was probably one of the most disgusting things I've ever watched. Uh, that was the first time I've ever seen it. But I've seen plenty of people absolutely fawning over Joey Chestnut and saying things like he conquered a weather delay, which, come on, that doesn't make any sense. Um, the other thought I had is dipping the hot dogs in water should be illegal. Um, I know that it helps them digest it or something, but at what point does it cease being a hot dog? Uh, they should have to just eat it normally like the rest of us normal people do. Nobody dips their hot dog in water to eat it normally. So in a hot dog eating contest, I think that should be illegal. If that lessens the amount of hot dogs they can eat, so be it. Uh, I, I, I think that should be illegal. Uh, another takeaway, the Pirate City Connects uniforms are horrendous. I know we have talked about this a little bit, but I just think we should give this some airtime. That's how bad they are. Uh, we've seen a set with the yellow jerseys and black pants that has been a hundred times better. Uh, and the two-toned batting helmets are probably the worst thing, not only in baseball, but in all of sports since the old Jacksonville Jaguars uh, two-toned helmets where they were the gold and black. These helmets are probably just as bad uh, and the worst thing in all of sports since then. And the last thing, who the Pirates should take with the number one pick in the draft. Um, I was team Dylan Cruz for a long time, but I think I'm coming around on the Skeens pick a little bit. And I'll explain why. I still think I still think Cruz is better, but I, I'm coming around on the Skeens pick that I won't be too upset if they do take him. And the main argument that I see here is the Pirates won't acquire that type of pitching anywhere else. They have to draft it if that if that is going to if it's going to be on their team, they have to draft it. I still think they're terrible at developing pitchers, but to be fair, they're pretty terrible at developing everybody. So uh, I don't know that penalizing them too much for pitching there. They're especially bad at developing pitching, but they're pretty bad developing developing everybody. I know Skeens has some holes that some scouts have talked about where his fastball comes in really straight. Think uh, Hunter Green. Um, and normally I would say that maybe they could change that up into like a sinker because I believe his, if, they, if his primary offering is a sinker instead, um, I think his gets a lot of movement similar to what Dustin May has uh, going for him. So if they can switch that to a to a sinker or maybe even just with the with proper coaching, I think at this point we should be able to uh, develop the shape of Skeen's fastball, maybe give him a little more movement on it that would improve the pitch. I don't know that the Pirates are the right that the this goes back to the Pirates development, though. I don't know necessarily a faith that they can do that. But I think the main argument here is that the uh Outfielders are easy, are easier to come by, basically. Um, it's easier to have a hard-hitting outfielder than it is a big-time pitcher. Uh, now, Dylan Cruz is very good. Um, this is by no means a slight against him, but if the Pirates are going to have a front-end pitcher, they have to draft, and Skeen seems like the best bet for that. Now, what definitely can't happen is they definitely can't take a high school bat 
because I've heard I'm getting a little worried. I've heard some rumblings that they I think his name is, is it Max Clark. I think he I've heard some rumors that he's a guy that the Pirates really like that a lot of the and they're, they're the highest on him. This would be a huge mistake. Uh, and I'm very worried that this is the route they're going to go to really uh, use that portfolio approach that worked in 2021, or at least I think it worked. Uh, but I can't say for sure at this point, I know that scouts were and many draft analysts were very high on how the pirates did in that draft with using that strategy. But at the same time, that was a draft that didn't seem to have a very, uh, I guess, a clear cut upper echelon talent at the top in the way that this one does with Skeens, Cruz, and even Wyatt Langford. So I really hope that they don't do that. If they do, and I, I the, another reason I'm worried about this is I've seen media guys already kind of starting to do the damage control and talk about the uh, the benefits of that portfolio approach like oh it wouldn't be so bad if they took those guys they took uh, like a under slot player yes it would it absolutely would be awful because if they do that it's the same old pirates they're going to keep stringing along fans with the promise of a bright future that never arrives if they take a a high school bat he's at least four years away the future is supposed to be a little bit supposed to happen sooner than that quite frankly and we know that Skeens and Cruz, uh, I think both have a very real shot at being up as soon as next year, which should be your competitive window starts next year. So I really hope that they take a college bat. Well, I hope that they take one of the college guys, um, preferably Cruz. I don't if you're going to if you're going to take a college bat, I don't see why you wouldn't take Cruz at this point. But if they go, I think the Skeens pick at this point is defensible. If they go that route, I did have one fantasy related takeaway. And that is that I know that we talked about this a little bit last week, so I won't dwell on it too much. But I, I said that it, it just makes sense that a higher scoring team would have a lower points against. And I still stand by that because that's, you know, that's just how math works. But that's not really what we're seeing overall. Our two, the two teams with the highest points against are Mike and Scott, which is really bizarre because those are our top two scoring teams right now in points four. So that's just a little bit of an oddity with our standings right now. I mean, on the other end, we have we have Brendan, um, who's the third, who is the third lowest points against on the year, despite being the lowest scoring team uh, uh, of the season so far. So just a little bit of an oddity there. I would expect that to kind of correct itself. I think that better days are ahead for Scott and Mike in terms of schedule luck. Uh, one last thing, I wanted to give a reminder about the trade deadline coming up. It is happening on July 31st, as is tradition. We've been doing that for a couple of years now, just to coincide with the uh, actual major league trade deadline. So just a reminder that that is coming up uh, fairly soon. Moving on to the trade section. Uh, we only got one, and I'm not going to dwell on it too long because it only involves two players. League villain, league, league villain Mike, league villain Nick gives Bailey Ober. Mike gives Henry Davis. Um, I don't have too much. I, I think this is fine. Bailey Ober is has been pretty good, but at the end of the day, I don't think he's much more than a streamer pitcher. Henry Davis was always an awkward fit on Mike's team because he had 
Ronald Acuna in right and Dalton Varsho at catcher. Davis might turn out to be better than Varsho. I don't, I am on record saying I don't think Varsho is actually a very good hitter, and I stand by that, but he does play every day. The same thing is happening with Davis, but again, it was a little bit of an awkward fit. I don't know how much better Davis you could realistically expect him to be uh, this year than Varsho. So that that in itself, that was always a weird trade, or that was always a weird fit with Davis. But honestly, this, in my eyes, this makes the original trade uh, that Mike made with Nate to even acquire Henry Davis a little worse because now you just traded uh, a keeper who people will pay for at the trade deadline. I would be shocked if they didn't. And and Carnassio and Strand, uh, one of the highest upside bats left in the minors at this point, uh, well, realistically for this season, uh, for three basically streamer pitchers, two of which have not been doing so hot in Canning and Tehran, who's, I think Tehran is, is a drop at this point. Uh, he kind of hit the wall, but awkward fit with Davis. Um, he flips him for another streamer pitcher. Ober is the best of the bunch in terms of those three that I named, but all the same. Uh, I think you would have been, your Mike would have been better served uh, holding out until the trade deadline and trying to move those keepers to a seller. Uh, going to our main segment now, uh, I had something much more fun planned originally, but I can't exactly do that myself. Uh, so that will probably have to wait. So, what I decided to do is I'm going to go through the all-star game, even though, the, in my opinion, the all-star game is a joke now. But all the same, we used to do an all-star competition, and I decided I would pick the – I would just go through the all-star rosters. I'm not going to read off all the names, but I will give totals. And I will come up with a starting lineup for the East and the West, and we can feel free to compare them at the end. But – uh, the same rules will apply with the normal all-star game where each team in said division has to have at least one player on the line in the lineup. So I decided to, and I, and I decided to uh, use our starting lineups, um, which means um, I divided the hitters by position. We have five starters four relievers. Um, and I was surprised I was actually able to fill both lineups that way, but some totals going over to the East, um, Mike leads the way with seven total all-stars um, and I'm using the all-stars for the, the actual all-star game. When I say this, uh, so Mike leads the way with seven uh, right behind him. We actually have four other teams. We have four teams that are tied with six. Uh, that is me, Nate, JC, and Eddie league villain. Nick has five all-stars over in the West. Scott, unsurprisingly leads the way at seven. After him, Nick Lee has five. Sam and Jordan both have four. Brendan has three, and Jerwin has two. Uh, looking at it by just hitters and pitchers, uh, Mike Mike and Scott are tied with the most hitters. They each have five apiece. And as far as pitchers go, Sam actually leads the way. All four of his all-stars are pitchers. So getting into the starting lineups, I'm going to start with the with the East. Uh, well, yeah, I'll just do I'll, I'll I'll split it up by position, we'll say. So uh, for the catchers in the East, the starting catcher I chose was my guy, Sean Murphy. The th this was one of the tougher spots to pick because there was Jonah Heim as well. I picked Murphy because I think that even though Heim has more total points on the year, 
Murphy has him beat in points per game. And there was uh, like a week and a half where Murphy was injured. Um, and if not for that, I think he would, he would be pretty comfortably ahead of Heim at this point. So Murphy gets the nod there on the other end, Adley, I chose Adley Rutschman uh, from Brendan's team. And my reasoning for choosing him over Will Smith from Nick's team uh, was basically that Brendan needed an all-star and none of his other guys fit into the lineup, uh, which leads me to one thing I forgot to mention. Injured guys I did not consider for this purpose um, because they are hurt. So that was just one thing I did. If if I considered injured guys, uh, we would have Jordan Alvarez in the West lineup. But alas, he is still hurt. First baseman uh, in the East. This was an easy choice, Freddie Freeman. Uh, the East also had some good, pretty good first baseman. Um, I guess Matt Olson was the other one that I considered, but obviously Freddie Freeman has been good enough that he gets the nod here. Pretty easy choice. And in the West, I gave the gave the spot to Pete Alonzo. Um, I know that Alonzo has been scuffling a little bit recently, but I still thought that the uh, Overall, uh, the overall season, he still probably deserved it. I think that his recent swoon might have been a little more due to uh, that injury than anything else. Second baseman, uh, I picked Marcus Simeon here from Lake Bill and Nick's team. He's been awesome on the year. Uh, the there, there were some other ones, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, on the other side, there actually was not a second baseman rostered, which it is a... It is a travesty that Cattell Marte did not make the all-star team after his recent surge. He has been absolutely on fire. I don't know why he did not. He is not on the all-star roster at this point. He is, he is the biggest snub. That being said, there were no second baseman in the West. So I did what we used to do for our all-star competitions and just assigned a neutral party. That was Orlando Arcia, who has not been very good for fantasy purposes, but I did not have much of a choice here. So Orlando Arcia is the starting second baseman in the West. Going over to third base in the East. This is Jose Ramirez from JC's team. I uh, don't think there's much more to say about that one in the West though. I have a little bit of a spicy pick. I picked Yandy Diaz uh, from Jordan's team. The season long numbers are still very good. He has, he was now Nick sent that text league villain. Nick sent that text about his stats in the, uh, in the group chat since the trade he conveniently left out though Yandy Diaz was playing hurt for a good chunk of time during that stretch which to me explains a good deal of the struggles you can take that or leave that but I think it's it's very important to contextualize those stats if we are uh, citing them so Yandy Diaz gets the gets the nod here uh, I did there were some other choices i guess i could have gone with nolan arenado here but again i'm gonna ds has been better on the year and so i am picking him uh short stops this was a tough one in the east but not really uh i chose Corey seager over wander franco uh seager has been basically the top shortstop uh on a strictly points points per game basis and I think he's the top shortstop going forward for our format. Wander Franco is a close second, but Seager has been absolutely on fire. On the other end, I think I only had one choice here, and it was Bo Bichette uh, from Scott's team. So he obviously gets the nod because there was nobody else. Uh, the outfield, this was a little tricky to shuffle around, but 
in left field from JC's team for the starting for the East is Adolis Garcia. I was a Garcia hater coming into this year, but that looks awfully stupid right about now. Garcia has looked excellent, and there's not really much to say about him besides I hope that he can still uh, keep conquering those strikeouts because he has done so so far. There's no reason for me to think that he can't, uh, but he has been excellent to this point. On the other side, I, I have Corbin Carroll from Nick Lee's team uh, filling this role as the left fielder. Now, Carroll has been awesome. He looks like a prime Trey Turner, uh, maybe with even a little more power. So I'm very, I'm kind of sad on one, on one hand. So when I was thinking about whether or not I was going to keep Jose Altuve, Carroll was the guy I was looking at in that spot. Now, Altuve has been excellent. I mean, he's been a little injured so far, but a little sad I didn't end up going with Carroll because it wouldn't have really impacted my lineup much at all besides I would have Carroll or Altuve, and I would much prefer Corbin Carroll at this point. Centerfield. Now, I would have gone Mike Trout here, but Mike Trout got hurt. So we go with Luis Robert from League Villain Next Team, the guy that uh, was traded for Mike Trout. So Luis Robert gets the nod here, and this is as much there's this is another case where there really was not anybody else <laughs> that his his main competition was hurt so Luis Robert gets the nod from me on the other end I chose Julio Rodriguez even though Julio Rodriguez is having a down year uh, Julio is from Scott's team um, I know that we, we threw around the term super keeper for Julio Rodriguez I don't think he's earned that at this point to be honest with you um, in our format he's he's been more very good than great i will say uh, i don't think he's been over three points per game on the on a full season yet i think to be to be considered a super keeper that should be i feel like three should be kind of the standard so i'm gonna i'm not gonna call julio rodriguez a super keeper quite yet even though he's very good going to right field uh this was the most obvious choice of the bunch ronald Acuna jr from mike's team uh, he is the number one player, so why not have he? He is the the easiest slam dunk pick at this point. In the West, I chose Juan Soto. Juan Soto's having a little bit of a down year again, but maybe this is just kind of the new normal for him. I don't know. He's going to walk a lot, but uh, in our format, that's awesome. But I still think he's a, I still think he's one of the best hitters in the game. But uh, this is like we're going on like two years now where the upside hasn't quite shown itself so maybe this is the new normal i don't know but he will always remain an excellent hitter for our format just because of the walks or utility the utility guy in the east is mookie betts from my team i think he's the fourth overall player right now i could have slotted him in at second base or shortstop uh just because he's he's ranked higher right now than C than simeon or seeger i guess i could have done that but uh, by the time I made this, he was already in a utility, and I didn't want to switch it. So uh, the points count all the same. So right now, Mookie Betts sticks at utility. On the other end, another easy call, Shohei Otani, who is the number two overall player right now. He is on Scott's team. Uh, he has been on an absolute heater. I know that he got hurt, but I think I don't think that's preventing him from hitting. So I think that's only preventing him from pitching, and he is not pitching uh, in this all-star game or this hypothetical all-star game so i did not worry about that 
starting pitching. Now I'm going to go through this one team at a time. Uh, this was a little tricky. So there's, I, I chose for the East. We have a rotation of Garrett Cole, Kevin Gosman, Framber Valdez, Bryce Elder, and Spencer Strider, who I decided not to put in a relief pitcher spot. And, and the reason for that is if I did put him in a relief pitcher spot, the guy I would have to pick, and this is because, I, again, we have some injuries here. So Clayton Kershaw and Shane McClanahan both are ineligible for this exercise. So if I put Spencer Strider as a relief pitcher, which I would love to do, I would have to start Josiah Gray. I don't want to do that for sure. Don't want to do that. So as it stands, Spencer Strider is the uh, fifth member of the rotation um, only because I originally had him at relief pitcher and then saw I would have to start Josiah Gray panicked and switched them out. Going to the West, uh, Luis Castillo, Nathan Avaldi, Zach Gallen, Mitch Keller, and Marcus Stroman make up our rotation there. Uh, this was a little bit of a trickier one. We had a little, we had some more options here. We had uh, Justin Steele was a tough cut from Jordan's team. Uh, we also had Sonny Gray, ironically, also from Jordan's team. Um, but I decided I liked to delete both of them out and go with uh, Stroman instead. We also had George Kirby, um, but Stroman again. If I'm using the results from the first half, uh, Stroman gets the nod. And to be honest. Um, Stroman and Kirby have not really been like all that different in their profiles so far this year, which is kind of funny. So I'll just go with the guy uh, that has been better so far, even though I do believe in Kirby rest of season a little more relief pitchers bullpen. Now uh, this was, so let's start with East Alexis Diaz, Devin Williams, Josh Hader are the three locks that I had before I did anything. Now, when I moved Spencer Strider, I had the choice between Emmanuel Class A and Kenley Jansen. And uh, I, both of those, frankly, sounded much better than Josiah Gray. So I decided to go with Emmanuel Class A. Now, none of them have been bulletproof, Class A and Jansen. Jansen's actually been better on a per-game basis. But uh, Class A, I think, shows has shown higher upside recently, as, as recent as last year. And I still buy into him as a better option at least temporarily. And I will for this exercise because it seems like he pitches all the time. One thing about him, I think he actually, I think he leads the league. He's either leads the league or is tied for the league lead in saves. He's also, he also leads the league in blown saves, which I don't know if that's ever happened before, but uh, moral of the story, he pitches all the time. So I think if I start him, he will give me the most volume. Now over in the West, uh, I think I only had four relief pitchers to choose from. So Felix Bautista, David Bednar, Camilo Duvall, and Yenier Cano are the ones that get the nod here. Uh, yeah, I did not have much of a choice in these. In this one, there were only four to pick from. So if we're going to compare the units here, uh, offense, it is hard not to look at the West and see Orlando Arcia in the hole there and not think that the East is better. So if we go through it one by one, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give the edge to Murphy over Rutschman for now. Uh, Freeman gets the nod over Alonzo. Easy call with Simeon over Orlando Arcia. Third base, Ramirez over Diaz. Shortstop, Seager over Bichette. So we went through the whole infield, and it's a clean sweep for the East. Maybe that's my own bias showing, but I don't know that we would disagree too much on that. 
going to the outfield, Corbin Carroll, we finally get a win for the West with Corbin Carroll over uh, Dolis Garcia. Uh, I guess Julio Rodriguez over Luis Robert, although I will say they are very close, but Acuna Jr. gets the nod over Juan Soto. Uh, Shohei Otani and Mookie Betts is pretty close for me, but I'm, I'm going to give the nod to Otani, even though I would rather have Mookie Betts on my team just for the positional uh, the positional versatility instead of um, Otani, who's just kind of locked in as your utility bat the whole time. Uh, Betts is a little easier to get in your lineup. Uh, starting pitching, this one is definitely closer. And this would have been a clear win for the West if I didn't pull the shenanigans with moving shenanigans. It was perfectly legal moving Strider to a, to a starting spot instead of starting Josiah Gray. Um, so let's so we got Cole, Gosman, Valdez, Elder, and Strider. That's the five for the East. On the other end, it's Castillo, Ovaldi, Gallen, Keller, and Stroman. Now. I guess at the top, I would take Cole, Gosman, and probably, say probably, Valdez versus Castillo and Gallon is pretty close. I think I would take Valdez, I think. And I, th- I would also take Strider over any of these other names. So that seems to be a clear win for the East. The problem is the Bryce Elder hole at, at the fifth spot. Uh, I would take anybody in the in the West rotation over him. But at the same time, if I'm picking four out of the five in the East over anybody in the West, I think that's probably a pretty clear victory there for the East. Uh, Bullpens, Emmanuel, we have Class A, Diaz, Williams, and Hayter. That's a pretty solid group. Uh, Class A, I think I would still take that over the West. So, I mean, I'm picking the, I'm picking the East basically in a clean sweep, which I guess is a little unsurprising. There were more total all-stars on the East anyways. So the pool was a little larger to pick from uh, there than it was for the East or was for the West. So I guess I'm taking the, the East in a clean sweep over all of the, all of all of the units that I decided to divvy it up. And I guess I, if I had to, if I had to divide the offense between infield and outfield, uh, despite Acuna being in the East outfield, uh, two out of three um, of the positions would be going to the West. So, I mean, I guess I could, I guess if I want to give the West a victory, I could say that their outfield is better. Uh, moving on though, to the matchup preview, my thing to watch for is who will actually look at the keeper chart with the uh, with the trade deadline coming up soon. I sent out the keeper chart a while ago, but I don't know who actually looks at it and who doesn't. So I have no idea who is actually going to utilize it. Will we see somebody be a trade for someone and not know that they are not actually keeper eligible? Or uh, maybe they did the math wrong with the rounds or just uh, misread something. Who knows? The keeper chart would help with that, but I don't know who actually reads it or not. So I guess we'll see there if somebody will uh, slip up. And if they did, we can all boo them for not reading the keeper chart. Uh, Going to the matchup, to the actual matchups themselves. Last week, I had a great week at five and at five and one. So I improved to 41 and 19. That is a 683 win percentage on the year. 
Jerwin had a bad week. He went two and four. Uh, so he falls to 37 and 29 with a 560 win percentage. Fantrax had a pretty good week and is starting to starting to climb away from Jerwin here. Fantrax went four and two. So they are at 44 and 28. That is a 611 win percentage. Sorry, my voice is starting to go as I've uh, been talking this whole time. But I see now why they go to break during radio shows, because this this has been tough to talk nonstop for probably about 30 minutes at this point. Anyways, we will go to the matchups. It is just me and Fantrax this week. So starting with my matchup against Mike, we both picked me. Nate versus Eddie, we both picked Nate in that one. JC versus Leagueville and Nick. This is where we at, we see the first split. I chose Leagueville and Nick. Fantrax picked JC. Going to Nick Lee versus Scott. This was a clean sweep for Scott. Jerwin versus Jordan. This was a sweep for Jerwin. And the final matchup, another important one between two teams that are in the hunt for the wild card, Sam versus Brendan. I chose Brendan. Fantrax chose Sam. And now we will finish up with news and notes. Man, this goes a lot faster when you are by yourself. So we are flying through this episode. Uh, news and notes. Call-ups. We have two. Colton Kowser and Alec Manoa. I am more excited for Colton Kowser. I am more intrigued by Alec Manoa. Uh, Kowser, I believe, had a hit in his very first game. Um, I think it was an RBI single, if I recall correctly. Uh, Alec Manoa, though, I am more intrigued by. Um, and how he does over the next several weeks could determine whether or not Jordan has a very good trade chip. Because if he's if he comes up and start and just starts shoving again, like he did last year, uh, suddenly I think that the memory of his first half before his send down might become a little bit distant. Uh, I think people will start to bank on the upside and there might be a better trade offer for Manoa than you might think. I'm not convinced he's fixed. Um, I, I, as far as I know, there were only two starts with him and the one we, he gave up like 11 runs in two innings or something crazy and rookie ball against like 17 and 18 year olds, which is just nuts. Uh, but I guess the Blue Jays saw what they needed to see there and promoted him to double A where he had a much better start. I think he had 10 strikeouts in five innings, but the issue there for me is he walked three, which is still a very high rate and something he was struggling with in the majors. Uh, so that would be my concern with Alec Manoa, but I guess they've seen enough and think that he's fixed. I believe he's starting against the Tigers and uh, that should probably ease him into the uh, back into the swing of things. So I, I know I made the joke with Bryce Miller um, with his, when he debuted against the athletics that he was, uh, he, that was his triple a debut. Well, maybe this is Alec Manoa getting promoted to triple a on his rehab assignment because the tigers really aren't that much better. Uh, no, I do not have any send downs marked here. Uh, I, I didn't see any, maybe I missed one, but oh, well, uh, I guess as an aside, a send down to, um, a, to free agency would be Nelson Cruz. Uh, because he got DFA'd, but we didn't really care too much about him anyways. Kind of weird, though, because I thought he was a clubhouse guy, and I watch the Padres right now, and they just look like a team that's collecting paychecks. 
Uh, there's really, especially that um, that series against the Pirates, they looked awful. They, they, there was no hustle, no fight out of them at all. They looked like they did not want to be there. And really, who wanted to play in those conditions anyways? I don't think anybody really wanted to be there. But uh, they especially looked like they did not want to be there. And they don't look like a team with any fight right now at all. They're just going through the motions, collecting the paychecks. Uh, I appreciate what the Padres tried to do being a small market team. They are actually the, uh, I think they have the smallest market in the league. Believe it or not, it's smaller than even Pittsburgh. But yet they're running like a 200 and I think it's a two, it's either 250 or 280, somewhere in that range, uh, million dollar payroll. So if the Padres can do it, any team can do it. So don't believe the propaganda being sent out by the small market teams that where they just cry poor and say they can't afford it because clearly they can. Uh, for returns, we have two. One already debuted. The other is coming up, I believe, tomorrow. I'm recording this on a Thursday. Uh, Tariq Skubal and Carlos Rodon. I am ex very excited for both of these. Uh, Skubal, I know he played the A's. So, again, like he just he's just extending his rehab assignment to AAA. Uh, Skubal showed some uh, improved velocity. And it... Again, it was against the A's, so maybe you take this with a grain of salt, but he did show some improved swing and miss. Um, so I I have some higher hopes for Scoobal, to be honest with you. And Rodon, I, I loved him coming into the year. Um, before his injury, he was my number four overall starting pitcher in my rankings. Um, I'm not going to have him there at this point, just with uh, all of the injuries that have, that have happened to him. Uh, but this has been... He went from being a super keeper to come on, let's just get here already with how many injuries and setbacks he's had. So good for Brendan. I'm sure that Brendan is happy to finally get that guy in his lineup at long last. And finally, we finish up with injuries uh, more than you would like on this list. Dustin May has his second elbow procedure done and he's going to be out uh, the rest of this year, and he's going to be out into next year. Um, and I believe it will be several months into next year. So big sad for Dustin May. Mike Trout, I have here a wrist injury, but it's actually, I can't remember if it's a wrist injury or a hand injury. Um, but he got surgery. He's going to be out, I believe, four to eight weeks, which really sucks for Mike because he just traded for him. And that was, uh, I think, the main piece in that deal because AJ Smith Shaw there as as we know got sent down so Mike is not getting anything out of his side uh for the time being uh another angel has um another well another angel got hurt as well Shohei Otani I have here it's a blister but I think it's actually a cracked nail so I think it's just going to prevent him from pitching um, I believe he is still hitting fine so not too bad there uh, Garrett Whitlock has an elbow injury. He will be out for, I don't remember the timetable on him, but elbow injuries are always very sad for pitchers. Um, I don't think it's a season ender, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him for a while. Bryce Miller goes to the injured list with, I think, a blister. Um, he had been a little up and down for a while, but uh maybe he can use this time off to actually develop a secondary pitch and that would be amazing for him uh 
it's kind of funny. You look at all those Mariners pitchers and they're like all kind of the same guy where they all have a great fastball, but they don't really have any secondaries that can do much of anything. Um, so maybe they, they'd all need to get together and just figure out, Hey, we, we can, we all have this secondary pitch. Let's, let's figure out something, maybe do like a brainstorm session. They can whiteboard a little bit, figure something out because with the exception of Luis Castillo, it's like the Mariners have a specific type. They like big fastball guys, evidently. So they, like all of their pitchers, Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby all have excellent fastballs, but like no secondaries at all to speak of. So it's just, it's just kind of funny that like everybody that the Mariners developed, they're like the same guy. <laughs> they, they just have, they have a type when it comes to pitchers, it seems. Um, anyways, Michael Kopech with a shoulder injury. This looks like a little bit of a phantom injury, like kind of the Dodgers, what the Dodgers would do just to give guys extra rest. Uh, I was sad last week that they bumped him from his start against the athletics. So this just seems like something, and they were talking about uh, holding him out through the all-star breaks. This just lets them do that without sacrificing a roster spot. Clayton Kershaw, this one sounds like it might be a little bit of a real shoulder injury, but at the same time, Clayton Kershaw seems to have an injury around this time every single year. And this is just like his midsummer vacation. Uh, to get him ready for the playoffs. So I don't have too many, I don't really have any worries about him, even though a shoulder injury sounds a little daunting. Shane McClanahan, this one does worry me a little more because it's a back injury and it's the second time that he's gone, that he's exited to start early due to a back injury in a very short amount of time. Back injuries can be a little fickle. Um, they tend to crop up more than you would like, um, even if they're not bad back injuries. Like they just seem to be enough where they can. Uh, hold guys out for uh, short chunks of time. Um, so I hope this isn't one of those things where it's going. I hope that McClanahan probably with the extra, the extra rest with the all-star break definitely helps. Um, he's, he wouldn't be pitching then anyways. So hopefully it's a short stay, but at the same time, hopefully they hold him out long enough where the back isn't a problem. Thero Strada has a hand injury. Um, yeah, that's all I have down about him. I I think I think it's sort of severe, but I don't remember, and I could be wrong on that. But he is probably not one that I really need to talk about too much. Uh, finishing up though, we have Jazz Chisholm, who was on the returns. So it's like we look at him. Oh, it's Jazz Chisholm, and he's gone uh, with an oblique injury. Um, I don't know the severity, but hopefully he's not gone for long. He was a really weird choice for the MLB The Show. It's MLB The Show 23 cover athlete. It was kind of a bizarre choice. And maybe I don't know if there's any like Madden-esque curses going on, but uh, he was kind of injury prone to begin with. And he certainly does not look great so far this year. Um, I think Nate called him the new Adalberto Mondesi. That was a little far for me because I think he does have more like fantasy relevant skills than Mondesi did in terms of our league. But even still being injury prone all the time and being drafted too early the comp probably fits uh last is my guy jose altuve day-to-day -day with an oblique injury he will probably be held out through the all-star break at this point i would not be surprised if he goes on the injured list just to not again same deal with Kopech, where they don't want to sacrifice a roster spot i haven't heard anything about him being out longer than that but at the same time this is the second time he's dealt with an oblique injury so that does worry me a little bit that does it for the injuries, so I guess I have to decide where my sympathy will go now. Um, 
This one's a little bit of a tough choice because there are so many. I think I'm going to go with Mike, though, because uh, Smith Shaver got sent down very early into the, after that trade. And so he only had Mike Trout left. And now Mike Trout is out for 48 weeks. So um, I know that O'Neill Cruz was out, but at the same time, that was one of his keepers that he could have traded before. So the fact that he is not there now is uh, a little sad. And um, so essentially just giving up Luis Robert and not getting anything in return, that, that's got to sting a little bit. So I think Mike gets the most sympathy. Um, I mean, he also has Clayton Kershaw, who's hurt, which is always a big blow because Kershaw, I think, was at the time. Well, I shouldn't say at the time. Kershaw was basically his best pitcher. So that always hurts. And everybody loves Clayton Kershaw. So it is always dumb to see him get injured and not play baseball. Yeah, I think that's the that's where my sympathy is going to go. Um, yeah, definitely towards towards Mike there. Uh, also towards Dustin May, though, because like we we will continue to wait for the full Dustin May breakout. But that's going to do it for this episode, a shorter one, but these things tend to fly when you're the only one talking. My voice is going out. I can tell I'm uh, fighting off a cough as we speak. So uh, yeah, that's going to do it for me. Um, next week, I can't remember if this is the the uh, <clears throat> the injuries week or if that is the following week. I can't remember. Anyways, I, my appearances in the short term on this podcast will be a little more sporadic because we are we bought a house and we are moving and I will have things to work on on the house. So I might be my my appearances over the short term may be a little more infrequent. But you're probably sick of hearing from me anyways after listening to me talk, uh, me and only me talk for the last uh, hour or so. So that does it for this podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, hopefully this was not too bad, even though it was just me. But uh, I will, we will tie, we will be back next week. I don't know who will be back, but this podcast will be back next week.